Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Father Andrew Mattingly. I am a Catholic priest in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is a podcast where I post homilies and random other stuff that I might teach or speak about. Hope you find something useful and maybe even inspiring. God bless you. As I was thinking of what to talk about for this great piece of Corpus Christi, this just wonderful feast in the church, sort of ran through a whole bunch of different potential topics during this week. Um, I thought maybe I could just sort of honestly give sort of a, just a whole slew of incredible quotes about the Eucharist from church fathers and different saints. There's so many incredible kind of attention-grabbing quotes about the Eucharist that have come down and throughout the ages. Uh, but that wasn't really sitting with me. And, and I thought maybe you could talk about sort of the Old Testament foreshadowings of the Eucharist, you know, the, the man in the desert, the Passover, the lamb, the figure of Melchizedek bringing bread and wine. That didn't really sit with me. I thought maybe I could talk about the current debate in the church over worthy reception of Holy Communion for public officials who publicly support grave evils and are sort of unrepentant about that fact. That's sort of obviously a big thing in the church right now. That would be worth talking about. I went down that and, and, and a few other topics, and none of them really, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't feel the Lord asking me to talk about any of those in particular. Um, and then a couple days ago, I had the chance to watch this documentary film about a Vietnamese bishop um, whose cause for canonization is now open. He died in 2002. Um, his name is, uh, if I get this right, Francis Xavier Nguyen Van Thuan. Um, and it is this very extraordinary story where uh, in 1975 he was, uh, from 1975 to 88, he was imprisoned in North Vietnam in various camps. And, and the Eucharist played sort of a, a central role in getting him through that particular time of his life. And so that got me thinking, maybe, maybe the best thing for today is that I just offer you a couple of stories, 20th century stories of people's devotion to the Holy Eucharist. And as you listen to these stories, maybe you can just kind of draw whatever from them you find most helpful to increase and stir up your own love for Jesus in this greatest sacrament on this wonderful feast day. So the first story I want to share with you is a guy who was just beatified uh, three years ago. His name is Blessed John Brenner. He was born in 1931 in Hungary, uh, and he entered uh, the Cistercian Order, so an order of monks when he was about 18, 19 years old. He actually had two brothers, so he was one of three boys, and they all became priests. So kind, of a, kind of a crazy, um, awesome family situation. but. He, uh, Hungary was one of the least, I guess you might describe it, in the Soviet bloc. They were more free than most other areas of the Soviet bloc to practice their religion. There was still obviously like heavy surveillance and, and different things, but it was, it was less intense repression than in most other parts of, 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 of the Soviet bloc. And so he was able to go through seminary during that time, and he was ordained in 1955 about 24, 25 years old, and his bishop placed him in a small town near the Hungarian-Austrian border, and he's a very sort of like charismatic young priest, and 
he was gaining quite an influence over particularly like um, youth in the town. And if there's anything that the communists needed more than anything, it was sort of like a positive influence on the youth, sort of preventing them from buying into the propaganda. And so sort of word got out that there's this, this priest who's sort of making big inroads in this little town on the Hungarian-Austrian border. And so the bishop gets sent a message telling him that he needs to move this priest to, to a different place. He needs to give him a new assignment. So the bishop tells this to this, this young priest, and, and he basically says to the bishop, he says, like, Bishop, I'll, I'll do what you want, but, but I, personally, like, I'm, I'm not afraid. Like, I'm happy to, I'm happy to just stay here and, and continue this work if, if you're sort of willing to take that risk. And, and so he did. And long story short, just a few weeks later, uh, in the middle of the night, one of the altar servers from his parish, a 17-year-old boy, comes to the, the rectory in the middle of the night and says, Father, somebody's dying, can you come and give them last rites? And so he gets you know, his, his oils and his, his, his ritual book, and he takes the host from the tabernacle and he puts it in the pigs, and he gathers these things with him, and he, he sets off into the night following this guy. Well, the guy's at a good pace and kind of loses him, and, and before this priest knows it, he's, he's ambushed by a bunch of different men who end up stabbing him 32 times and, and leaving him uh, to die. So it was, it was a setup. You know, it, was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't a real uh, sick call. So, so he, he was found the next day. And the thing, about, the thing about this story is when they found him, he had his hands completely clenched around, around the picks. Like they were, they were so tightly clenched around the pigs they could sort of barely pry his, his dead hands away. And, and so what must have happened is that as he was being attacked, instead of defending himself, which would have been sort of the most natural thing in the world to do, at some point he must have just made the decision in his mind, like, I'm, I'm not going to escape this, so I'm going to do what I can, and that's, I'm going to protect our Lord from being desecrated. Stole and death. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to clench my fists around the Eucharist, and, and, and this is how the Lord is going to call me home. Right, so, so a real martyr for the Eucharist. And after this story got out, um, he, he earned the nickname the Hungarian Tarsisius. So some of you might be familiar. In the early church, there was a, a young man uh, named Tarsisius who died in almost exactly the same way. Um, and uh, it is the same. And so um, he sort of earned this, this nickname, the Hungarian Tarsisius, but very, very inspiring, just sort of in the last moments of someone's life to, to, to sort of give it all um, for the Lord and the Eucharist in that way. The, the second story I want to share with you is one that some of you may have heard before. Um, Fulton Sheen was fond of telling this story um, as an archbishop. And it takes place in China in the year 1900. Um, some of you might know history, but in the year 1900, there occurred in China what's called the Boxer Rebellion. And basically it was this strong push to reject every type of Western European influence that had happened in China over the past centuries. So anything that came from Europe, including Christianity and Catholicism, was sort of ousted in this big revolution. So soldiers were ordered to go into churches um, and to imprison priests, to, to, to burn churches, to, to do all this 
where the soldiers came in and they took the priest and they, they put him under house arrest just in his rectory right next door. Apparently there was some sort of, I don't know, shared window or something with the rectory and the church where the priest could actually still see into the church to some degree. And when they took him out of the church, there happened to be a young girl that was able to hide in some, I don't know if she was hiding in a confessional or something, but she was hiding somewhere in the back of the church. And so she saw this happen um, and she saw them take the priest away. She also saw them forcibly um, dislodge the tabernacle from its place in the church. And they threw it on the ground and it, it spilled open. And there were 32 consecrated hosts that fell out under the sanctuary floor. And unfortunately, the soldiers, perhaps they didn't know what the Eucharist was, and they just sort of left, they left the host there and, and, and went off. And the priest, he saw this little girl who was probably about 12 years old. Um, he saw her come back late in the night when everything was quiet, nobody else was, was around. There was still a guard or two kind of around the property. But she managed to sneak by them into the church and she came up into the sanctuary and she knelt down and she made a holy hour uh, in the presence of Jesus there in, in the Blessed Sacrament just sort of spilled all over the floor. She knelt down and she made a holy hour. And then the priest saw her crawl up sort of close to one of the hosts and she, she bent down, she bent her face down over the host and with her tongue received communion. She received one of the hosts. And because at that time, of course, it wasn't allowed for anybody but the priest to actually touch the sacred host with their hands. And so she did that, and then she came back every night for 31 nights. And she did this one by one. She would make a holy hour, and then she would receive communion. For 32 nights in a row, and then on the very last night, apparently as she was leaving, she made some sort of noise that sort of alerted one of the guards. They saw her, they ran after her, caught her, and beat her to death for having trespassed, right? So again, a, a martyr, a martyr for the Eucharist. Her, her love for Jesus in that sacrament led her to risk her own life, night after night after night, to come and reverence him there, and to prevent him from, at some point in the future, being, being desecrated by, by someone else. Right? This is this is extraordinary love um, for Jesus and Eucharist. And the last story I'll share with you has to do with this bishop I mentioned at the beginning. So he was, in 1975, he was assigned uh, what we call coadjutor archbishop of Saigon in, in Vietnam. Only a short, short time later, I believe it was only a week or two later, Saigon fell. Um, and he was taken captive by the North Vietnamese and for the next 13 years, he was passed around to different prison camps. Nine of those 13 years, he was in solitary confinement. And his story is really incredible. Um, he said his cause for canonization is open now. He's the title of, of Venerable. But at a certain point in those 13 years, when he was in a particular camp where they allowed him to have some contact with outside individuals, and for them to maybe even send a finger to um, for him in his, in his imprisonment, he sent a note um, to, to somebody requesting uh, medicine for his stomach. And immediately, the faithful knew exactly what he was asking for. He was asking for wine, 
so that he would be able to celebrate Mass in prison. Um, and it, obviously he needed bread too, so they just sort of figured out the rest of it. And so, in a very sort of creative and sneaky way, you know, the Lord says we need to be innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. Right? This, is a, <laughs> this is a moment, sort of wise as serpents. So they, they sent him in this little bottle, um, uh, just some wine, and uh, they also sent him a flashlight. I think he maybe had said something in his note about, you know, it's kind of dark in here, and sometimes the light bulb goes out in the cell or whatever. So they sent him a flashlight so he could see in the dark. And of course, he opens up the battery compartment in their house, in, in, in the compartment there. So, so now he has bread and wine, and he's able to, to celebrate Mass in his cell. And he literally, and he says, this sustains him. Like the, you know, the, the constant interrogations, trying to break him. Like, it, it, it took a real mental toll on him. And he said, without the Eucharist, he, he may have just lost it all. And so, day after day, he would literally take the, the only consecrated item that he had within in his cell, right? The, the consecrated things typically to hold the body and blood of Christ, like the chalice and the saboria, they're all consecrated. The only consecrated thing he really had in his cell was his hands. Right? When you're ordained, your hands are consecrated with oil by the bishop. So he literally, with as much care as he could find, he would he would cup his his left hand and he would pour three drops of wine, no more than three, into his hand, and his hands were became the chalice for mass. And then he would take one of the hosts, and because he had the prayers of mass memorized, he would celebrate mass every day like that. And eventually, in one of the camps where he was allowed to have contact with other prisoners, they took some, again, very carefully, they took some paper from inside old cigarette packs, I don't know what I'm talking about, like a little lining in there. They very carefully, he very carefully took some of those, figured out a way to kind of weave them together into like a secure little pouch. And he would carry around the blessed sacrament with him in the camp in his shirt pocket um, in this sort of makeshift place. Uh, and he said that, that the hope and the encouragement that it brought to the other prisoners, those who were Catholic, was, was something really extraordinary to see. And he also began the practice, once he figured out who the different Catholics were in the different cell blocks of the camp, he, each cell block, he would give them this fix with our Lord and the Holy Eucharist to have for a night. And so each cell block really treasured these moments when they knew that Jesus was coming into their midst in the Holy Eucharist. And, and he would arrive and they would take turns throughout the night doing holy hours in their cells. And this bishop says that dozens and dozens and dozens of non-Catholic prisoners, through the sheer power of the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, came to faith in the Lord and His Church during these years in the prison camp. He, he talks about Catholics in different cell blocks baptizing their peers and bringing them into the church. And he attributes all of it to the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist in their midst. He said, it, it, the effects of what happened in, in those camps, he said, was absurd. And it makes no sense outside of the fact that Jesus was with us. He was with us in the Blessed Sacrament. How powerful stories. People risking their life for love of Jesus and in the most blessed sacrament. So just an encouragement today to 
Ask the Lord for the grace to renew your own love and devotion for Him in this greatest of all sacraments. And I think in a, in a particular way, um, to renew your gratitude, uh, your gratitude for a gift this extraordinary. Right? We should never tire, I think, of telling people of the extraordinary love of God for us in the Eucharist. How the, the all-powerful one who created the entire universe and everything in it hides himself under the most humble signs you can possibly imagine. He humbles himself under what looks like bread and wine. There's nothing more, more humble and, and small than that. And he does that because he wants to be one with us. Right? He wants to, to feed us to himself. And so he goes to any lengths to make sure that that happens. So, Let's all just renew our gratitude today for such, uh, such an extraordinary